a great joy today for the whole church to, to witness the baptisms of these, these two souls, these two people who have come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior personally. We've been looking forward to this day for a long time. So, Agatha Nikotra, how's the accent? Is that okay? And, uh, and Joshua Lawrence, I can manage that. Uh, before you're both baptized, we're going to hear from you both um, something of your public testimony of how you've come to know the Lord. So, Agatha, if you come up first and just uh, tell us your story so far. Hello, everyone. It all began last year on a sunny April afternoon when I was supposed to attend a Spanish class, but instead I ended up to International Cafe here in Camberwell. Back then, I didn't know yet that God was setting for me a safe and warm place uh, for the storm that was about to hit my life, but I'll come to this in a bit. That day, I was drawn to a place where I found welcoming and smiling people who were willing to discuss openly about differences among religions, uh, who didn't judge, who responded gently to challenging and difficult questions that I had about God, who also, in many different ways, displayed the forgiving and loving face of God with all they did. In that period, I was wrongly convinced that just to believe in God and being an average good person would have uh, been enough to buy God's forgiveness. I learned instead what actually makes the real difference is to be in a direct relationship with God without any intersections. I came to know this uh, when I started reading the Bible uh, with Vicky who kindly offered to guide me into the word of God. Uh, the book of Galatians opened my eyes. I was especially struck uh, by the passage where Paul confronted Peter for slipping away from the truth of the gospel. It felt like Paul was confronting me about my own beliefs. Since then, I started questioning my vision about Christianity, but mostly I was amazed by the forgiving and understanding face of God. He knows that we are not perfect, but nevertheless, he sacrificed his own son for us uh, to redeem us. By acknowledging this, God came into my life, and it felt like a miracle. I felt like I was born again. Having God in my life made, me, uh, made the whole difference when, a few months later, my entire world felt miserably apart. Very little was spared since then. And there was nothing I could do to stop this from happening. But thanks God, I was already surrounded by people, all of you, my brothers and sisters, who always were willing to help and encourage me, who constantly reminded me that the Lord is good, a stronghold in times of troubles, that he cares for those who trust him, to quote uh, a few passages from the Nahum. Also, uh, that he knows the plan he has for you, plans to prosper you and not to um, harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, to quote Jeremiah. But most of all, I was feeling his loving and permanent presence, his firm hand, 
that he kept me from falling into desperation. I felt and still feel blessed because God chose me and never abandoned me. I know I can rely on him no matter what, not to have to worry about circumstances because he's in charge of my life. And whenever I, always, uh, whenever I feel down, whenever I feel sad, I always remind myself to trust in the Lord with, with all my heart and because I cannot lean on my own understanding. In all your ways, I can submit to him, and he will make my path straight. And now I pray to God that I never forget this throughout the rest of my life. Joshua, come up now. That's wonderful. That's yours. Okay. Uh, to start with, I need to go back to the beginning. So I was born in, like, brought into Grove as a baby, um, brought up in a family, a Christian family, which is a blessing to have. Um, we moved house a few times, and you know we struggled to find another chapel. And as a teenager, I found myself going further away from the teachings that the Bible teaches. Um, but then I realised as a teenager that I needed to go back. I was living my life without the Lord, and I needed to go back. Um, so I went back to the beginning, um, back to Grove Chapel. I bought my own Bible. I started reading it like a normal Bible, like sorry, like a normal book, um, you know, from the beginning. And then I got some great advice to jump to Matthew, which is amazing advice. Um, and then from Matthew, I started learning the teachings of Jesus again um, and going through the Gospels. Um, I learned, sorry, I learned many lessons from Jesus, such as love your enemies and what he has come in this world to do. Um, he has come in this world to save sinners. Um, I'm quoting Jesus here. He, I did come, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Repent. Um, and this is what he has done. He sacrificed himself to save sinners. This is the reason why I follow Jesus. And I believe Jesus is my shepherd king. Um, okay. I follow Jesus. Um, and I've realized it comes with struggles. Struggles in faith. This is something that every, every disciple has to go through. And the, these struggles we go through for the, cycle, for the sake of Christ. We must remember following the Son, all those who follow the Son are in the hands of the Father, um, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hands. Um, we must continue following the spotless Lamb, the slain spotless Lamb, and following him in the name of Christ. That's it. Thank you. Well done. That was uh, wonderful to hear that. Um, we're going to sing now a hymn that, uh, that Josh has chosen. Um, we discussed this earlier this week. From heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world, your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve, and give your life that we might live.
Let's all stand to sing. So then, we are here today for a service of baptism. And baptism is not a private affair. Baptism in the name of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is baptism into the church of Jesus Christ, into the community of all those who profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. On such an occasion, we should consider our own baptisms. Unlike communion with the bread and the wine, baptism is intended to be a single event. But we should make use of our baptism throughout our lives. I would therefore urge everyone here to consider the present significance of your own baptism, as well as what it means for Agatha and Joshua, and remember what it means for the community of the church. Jesus Christ instituted two sacraments, two services, if you like, two ceremonies in his church, baptism and communion. What are they? Well, they are outward, physical, visible signs of spiritual reality that Jesus himself established. And he spoke of baptism before his ascension in these words from Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Baptism is an ordinance that means something ordered and appointed by the command of God. It's given as a sign and a seal of God's gracious, saving, covenant relationship. As a sign, like all signs, baptism points to something. It points to spiritual reality, that we are cleansed, we are washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as a seal, like a, like a wax imprint or a marker on a letter or some piece of jewelry, God assures us of his faithfulness to his covenant promises. Baptism points to salvation, but let me add, baptism does not save. Only the Lord saves. The symbol used in baptism is that of water. The symbol is important, but what it points to is what really matters. It symbolizes purification. That purification is what happens when we are united with Christ in his death. And this is brought about not by the sprinkling of water, but by the washing of regeneration 
by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is poured out on all who believe. And on that day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Baptism teaches us that we are all sinners by nature. But it also teaches us that God can and does, by his Spirit, cleanse us, wash us from our sin as we have the blood of Christ applied to our souls. So then, everyone here, consider your own need. And if you've been baptized, consider your own baptism and the assurance of God's faithfulness that your baptism seals as you witness the baptisms of Agatha and of Joshua. Right, we're there now. So Agatha, if you just come forward, and if you just kneel down facing the congregation, I'm going to ask Agatha just uh, three questions, and she's going to answer them. So then, Agatha, do you sincerely repent of your sin, and are you willing to turn away from sin in all its forms, the world, the flesh, and the devil, by the grace of God? I do. Agatha, do you confess your faith in God as your Creator and Father, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and in the Holy Spirit as your Teacher and Sanctifier? And do you promise to follow Jesus Christ wholly and serve him in this fellowship and in the world as he strengthens you? The Lord be my helper, I do. Agatha, upon confession of sin, profession of faith in the triune God, and dedication to serve him, I baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We'll just pray. Let's all pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, for every testimony that your people can bring and give of your goodness and grace and love. We thank you for the chain of events, some painful and hard, but they have led Agatha here and to your people and to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And we pray that you would strengthen her greatly and bless and use her mightily in all the days and months and years that lie ahead. Thank you, and may she ever remember this baptism day as a day of your everlasting faithfulness to be the God who saves his people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Joshua, it's your turn now.
if you want to just turn around and kneel down too. Okay. Joshua, the same, same three questions to you, brother. Do you sincerely repent of your sin and are you willing to turn away from sin in all its forms, the world, the flesh and the devil, by the grace of God? I do. Do you confess your faith in God as your creator and father, in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and in the Holy Spirit as your teacher and sanctifier? I do. And do you, Joshua, promise to follow Jesus Christ wholly and serve him in this fellowship and in the world as he strengthens you? The Lord being my helper, I do. Joshua, upon confession of sin, profession of faith in the triune God, and dedication to serve him, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. O Lord God, may the water that falls on Josh's head this morning ever be to him a reminder of the blessing, the salvation, the cleansing, the purifying, the goodness and mercy of you, his covenant God and sanctifier and saviour. Thank you, Lord. As Joshua has testified, he was brought here uh, as a child to learn of the Lord Jesus. And now in his manhood, he's returned to us and he has come to you and he confesses you as Saviour and Lord. Our Father be with him, bless and strengthen and encourage him greatly in all that lies ahead. We pray and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you sit for a second. What we're doing is we're now going to not only have them baptised, we've done the baptism, no more baptisms, but we're going to admit both Agatha and Joshua formally into the membership of Grove Chapel this morning. So maybe if Ruel and Steve could join me here at the front, and uh, Agatha and Josh, one last time, come up to the front and just stand on my left. And we've uh, been through these questions, so they know them very well, they're going to answer and then, and then we're done. You can, I'll ask you in turn, first Joshua, then, then Agatha. Uh, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Saviour and Lord? Josh? I do. Agatha? I do. Do you promise to join regularly with your fellow Christians in worship on the Lord's Day? Josh? I do. Agatha? Do you promise to commit yourself to the oversight and care of this church and seek always its purity and peace? Josh? I do. Do you promise to be faithful in reading the Bible and in prayer? Josh? I do. Do you promise to give a fitting proportion of your time, talents, and money for the church's work? in the world. I do. 
And do you promise, depending on the grace of God, to confess Christ before men, to serve him in your daily work, and to walk in his ways all the days of your life? Josh. The Lord be in my help, I do. And Agatha. Please could all the members of this congregation, the members of Grove Chapel, stand now as we receive this brother and this sister into the congregation. Do you, the members of this congregation, receive and welcome Agatha and Joshua as a sister and a brother in the Lord? And do you promise to love them care for them, and pray for them as fellow members of Christ's body. We do. Joshua, Agatha, you are welcomed into the membership of this congregation, and as a sign of that, we give you the right hand of fellowship, and I welcome you in. Welcome. Welcome, Agatha. It's great to have you as part of Grove Chapel, and the elders will welcome you as well. Marvellous. Well, let's all have a seat, shall we, after that? We can all sit down. We're going We're going to read from the Word of God, from the Bible, and we turn first of all to the Gospel of John and chapter three. And we'll read the uh, first 21 verses of this famous chapter of John's Gospel, page 1070. John chapter 3. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel 
and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And while remembering all those words, we just turn back for the shortest of readings to the very beginning of our Bibles once more and to the first two verses of the book of Genesis. Genesis 1, verse 1 and verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Brothers and sisters, friends who are here at Grove Chapel this morning, the timings have fallen rather perfectly. Today, as we've just seen, is the day of the baptism of our beloved brother Joshua, our beloved sister Agatha. Again, in the name of the Lord Jesus, welcome Welcome to Grove Chapel. It also happens to be, according to the church calendar, the day of Pentecost, the day of the coming of the Spirit of God in great power that day. And we also, as it just so happens, reach this second verse of Genesis 1 in our series on the subject of foundations. I want to try and briefly tie these threads together for a little while this morning. Who are we? What are we? What is the meaning of this gathering? 
Are we a social club? Are we a pressure group? A group of people with a common interest? Some sort of hobby or craft or something like that? No, we are something far greater than that. We are here today as the church of God. The church of the triune God. The three-in-one God. Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And these three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. But I want to think this morning particularly about the wonderful, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God who gives life where before there was no life. The Spirit of God, the third person of the Godhead. What does that mean? I don't really understand, but I can say only what the Bible says, that there are, there are three persons in the one God. And the third person is the person of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the Lord and the giver of life. Jesus himself said on one occasion, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, the human body, is of no help at all. Now I had planned until about 24 hours ago to look at the work of the Holy Spirit in seven acts. Then I thought it might be quite late on in the service by the time you get to this point. Let's Cut it down to just three. Three acts. So what do we see? We see three wonderful acts of the Holy Spirit where the Spirit is seen to be the one who gives life where before there was no life. And the first act, act number one, is the very beginning of creation. What happened at the beginning of creation. Well, we read about it here in Genesis 1 and verse 2. The earth, the earth we live on, at that time was without form. And it was void. There was nothing on it. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Here was the earth right at the beginning of time in its raw, unformed state. The earth had no shape. The earth had no form. There was at the time no such thing as land or sea or sky. All was mixed up together. It was confused. There was no structure to it. There was no light. It was all dark and mysterious. It was just a lump of stuff, of matter, all heaped together, lacking any kind of order or organization. That's what the earth was like at the beginning. But, and this is the wonderful thing, 
the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was looking over this earth. We might say he was, he was brooding over the earth. The picture is that of a, of a mother bird who is uh, hovering over her nest and looking with love and affection and concern over her, maybe her unhatched eggs and the chicks who are about to hatch out of them, waiting to make something of them. Or maybe like a sculptor who finds a big random mass of clay and determines he's going to make something out of that mass of clay. The reformer John Calvin spoke of the Holy Spirit cherishing the confused mass of the earth. The Spirit of God is looking at this random, shapeless mass of the earth, but he determines to give it structure, to give it form, to give it beauty, to give it life. Whereas yet there is no life, there is no beauty, there is no structure, there is no form. And then God says in the next verse as we see, let there be light and there is light. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? He is the God who brings order from chaos. He brings life out of what is not life. That's what the Spirit of God does. He did it here. And then he does it again in our second act, which I want us to think about. Our second act, we move forward many thousands of years, and we come to the very conception of Jesus Christ himself. And now, if you like, we're coming to the, uh, the Christmas narrative And we would read in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 35, where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary. And Mary, who is so herself perplexed by this news of being mother to a child, asks how this will happen. How will she bear a child without a human father? And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So what do we have this time? We have the virgin womb of a young woman called Mary. She is unmarried. In all the history of the world, no woman has conceived a child without a human father. Mary has been told by this angelic visitor from heaven that she will conceive in her womb and give birth to a son, but she asks understandably, how will this happen? Seeing that I do not know a man, I am still a virgin. How can this thing be? This thing is impossible. Yes, it is impossible, but not with God, because the angel tells her, that this is nothing other than the supernatural, life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. And the very language used by the angel quite deliberately takes us back to Genesis. The Holy Spirit 
overshadowed Mary's womb, just as he had hovered over the confused earth before it was formed. And just as the infant earth became a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit, this child who is conceived in the womb of Mary is a new creation, a holy and distinct, sinless and pure creation. How? Well, it can only be by the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore he, Jesus, is called the Son of God. And at this unique single point in history, the most amazing thing of all happens. The divine nature of the Son of God is permanently joined to our own human nature. And God and man are united in one person. This is the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit that does this. The work the Holy Spirit does is beyond our comprehension. But there's a third act we come to. And we roll forward some 30, 33 years or so again to the day of Pentecost. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 to 38, we read of the climax of that day of Pentecost. What is the great climax of that day? It's not the sound of the wind blowing from heaven. It's not the appearance of those tongues of fire. It's not even the sound of these unschooled Galileans speaking the tongues of all the nations. The great climax of that day of Pentecost is the response of the people in Jerusalem after Peter the apostle had preached to them and then declared these words, Acts 2, verses 36 to 38. Peter says to them, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. Who? This Jesus whom you crucified. That was the climax of Peter's message, but then what followed? Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, brothers, what shall we do? They were desperate. They were fearful. They were alarmed. They were serious. They were awakened. Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. Turn away from sin. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this such a remarkable thing that was going on that day? I'll tell you why. Because these same people, these same men, and maybe women too, were the ones who just a few weeks earlier had been demanding at the top of their voices with shouting and baying that Pontius Pilate should release a criminal called Barabbas and have Jesus crucified. 
And that is why Peter is quite right to speak to them of this Jesus whom you crucified. You crucified him. Yes, you said at that time, it's in Matthew 27, you said, His blood be on us and on our children. They had the blood of Jesus on their hands. They did not believe that he was the Christ, the Son of God. They were completely alienated from God. They were dead and remote and far from him in their sin and their rebellion. But something happened that day. Something happened that day. That day of Pentecost. The day of the coming of the Holy Spirit. There was this great transformation. These people were cut to the heart. Like a knife, like a dagger had pierced through their, the outer tissues of their, of their bodies and probed into their hearts. Their consciences were, were awakened and they realized how wicked they had been in crucifying Jesus. But more than that, more than that, the Holy Spirit enables them to see that God has made this Jesus, whom they crucified, both Lord and Christ. This is the great thing, you see. Their understanding of who Jesus is has been completely changed. He's no longer the imposter, the false messiah, the figure of mockery, the king of the Jews to be ridiculed. No, now... With the Spirit opening their eyes, suddenly they see Jesus as he is. He is Lord. He is King. He is Savior. And he is the one in whom we and they can have forgiveness of sins. The only one in whom we can have our sins forgiven. And with no hesitation, these 3,000, soon to rise to 5,000, are baptized In the name of the Lord Jesus. This is the life-giving work of the Holy Spirit. He takes hold of people who are spiritually dead. Dead to God. Dead to Jesus Christ. And he breathes his own eternal life into them. And let me now apply this today to everyone who are here. The Holy Spirit's great work of coming to a person, of showing that person that he or she is a sinner, a sinner who justly deserves the anger of God. And then the work of the Spirit in showing that person that there is one and only one Savior from sin, Jesus That work continues today. As it did then on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit has not left us. His work has not left us. His saving work has not ended. It was Jesus himself who said to Nicodemus, as we've seen, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit... He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Oh, we're all born 
You've all been born one day. You've all had natural birth from your mothers. We all have to be born physically. But are you born spiritually? Because that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Let me again quote those other words of Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 68. 63, it is the Spirit who gives life. It is the Spirit who gives spiritual life. The flesh is of no help at all. What are we all like by nature? How are we all born? What's the state of our minds, our souls, our spirits, our natures? The answer is this. We are all far from God. We are all enemies of God. We are dead to God and deaf to God and blind to God because of our sin. We have no spiritual life in us. We are all by nature fallen sinful offspring of Adam. And there is nothing in me and nothing in you that can make you alive. Remember the formless mass of the earth. Could the formless mass of the earth in Genesis 1 have said to itself, I'm going to give myself form and pattern and structure and life? Of course it could not. The Spirit of God must get to work on it for that to happen. Think of the virgin womb of Mary. Could Mary have said, I'm going to, by my own concentration and power, by my own strength, conceive a child who will be the Son of God. Could she do that by herself? Of course she could not. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit to do that. And then think of these desperate men on the day of Pentecost who don't need any convincing that they are desperate. They've been cut to the heart. They've realized that they have crucified and slain and killed the author of life. And they are heartbroken their faces are fallen they realize what guilty men they are and they say to peter and the other apostles men brothers what shall we do what can we do for we don't think we can do anything and they can't do anything of themselves but this is the thing you see that day peter has proclaimed a savior from sin jesus christ and it's by believing in him that we are saved. How does the Spirit of God work today to bring a dead soul to life? I'll tell you how. He brings the gospel message to our mind and our heart and our will and our conscience. And we realize that we are sinners in need of salvation. And we hear the name of Jesus. And we hear of his life and his death and his resurrection. And we believe and that moment we believe, we pass from death to life. And I say to you again, the same Holy Spirit is with his people today. Salvation is of the Lord. So, today, having seen and heard everything which has happened here this morning, 
What is stopping you from believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? And I mean you. And I mean today. What is stopping you from coming and being baptized into the name of the triune God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit? What is holding you back from joining that community of God's people, the Church of Jesus Christ? Perhaps today is the day for some of you. Perhaps the day of Pentecost will become for Camberwell today a true Pentecost when many here might be awakened to a sense of their need and their sin and to realize that Jesus Christ is Savior, the Savior and Lord who must be obeyed. And if that is true for you, then lose no time. I and others would be so glad to hear from you. It is our joy, it is our command from God himself to receive all who come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior. Let's have a time of quiet and prayer together. Let us pray. Our God and Father, our God and Savior, our God and life-giving Spirit, to you we come, in the name of Jesus we come. We have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears today how your Spirit has worked mightily and savingly in the lives of two blood-bought children that you have saved. And here in this place are many, many witnesses, likewise, who have been before through the waters of baptism and professed faith in Jesus Christ, have repented and believed to the saving of their souls. And Lord our God in heaven, our prayer is that you would add to that number, that you would work in many hearts, that you would draw us to Jesus Christ, draw many, and let Pentecost go on being fulfilled in these days, days of blessing that you would be pleased to give us here in this place. O Lord our God, we ask these mercies from a great God and Savior, and we bring our prayers in the name of Jesus. Amen.